Thanks for tuning in to the Tail Lights Podcast. I'm here today with Coach Paul Talbert. Uh, Coach Talbert, thanks so much for joining us. Eric, thank you very much. It's an honor and, I, an honor and a privilege. Absolutely. Coach, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you grew up and what your parents did. Well, I, I, I was born and raised in Dallas, born in Dallas County, Baylor Hospital, and I spent my school years in Mesquite and uh, DeSoto. I ended up graduating from DeSoto High School, moved over in junior high to DeSoto, eighth grade. Uh, have good friends in both areas, and I played all sports uh, in, in high school. Uh, as far as I say all sports, I played football, basketball, uh, baseball, and, and did some track. But primarily, I was a football, baseball player. Nice. Did you have a, an influence there at, uh, at school that was a coach that made you want to maybe go in that direction? You know, I just love football. I love sports. I had some awesome coaches. Uh, Mickey Riggs uh, was my high school head coach, and and I had some Sterling Jeter, who's in the Judson ISD Hall of Athletic Hall of Fame. There, uh, Mickey Riggs was our head coach. He was his first head job. He was on the nineteen sixty three national championship team there at Texas. Uh, he was a walk on out of out of high school from Sire Lake out there down by Houston. Uh, just a great guy, a bunch of great coaches, uh, and uh, it just – I nearly, I really didn't think about coaching at that time. I just enjoyed the game, and, and uh, the coaching part of it came for me later on. It wasn't like something came on at that time that said I wanted to be a lifetime coach. It just uh, – I really wanted to play college, you know, go to the next level. That was my goal. Yeah. <clears throat> what your, would your parents do there? Well, you know, that's – my my dad was a uh, grew up in Mississippi uh, during the depression, uh, born during the depression, and my mother grew up in East Texas. Her dad was a farmer, and uh, uh, my dad's parents were were sharecroppers, and uh, nobody in our family had really been to college. Uh, I was the first college graduate of, of my th- uh, two brothers and sisters. So college really wasn't uh, – my, my parents didn't put a, a great value on college. They were just hard work people. And uh, my dad worked six days a week, and uh, he worked physical jobs. And and uh, so that's that's kind of how we grew up. Uh, they they valued education, they, they but it wasn't like you're going to go to college and you're going to do this and that. It was kind of like – I don't know if they thought it was just too far out there for the, for for you know somebody to go for our from our family or it was something they just didn't didn't think about that much but uh, anyway uh, I ended up getting a degree and and coaching for 32 years so you know it, it ended up doing been a, been a good decision for me where'd you go to college well I, I was a walk-on at Ranger Junior College believe it or not uh, I was working at the packing house after I graduated with my dad down at, down at Craig's Meats there in downtown Dallas. And uh, he was a foreman, a shop foreman down there. And uh, I, I worked six days a week and I laid out the first semester out of my, after my high school, we didn't have the money to go to college and my parents didn't have anything for me to go to college. And I went to work and I was, I was doing a job where 
I put, uh, I make about $130, $140 a week. And I keep 20 bucks, 25 bucks out to spend for my running money, so to speak. And then I put the rest of it in a Skippy peanut butter jar above my bed. And I worked out every day I'd come in, I'd go and I'd work out, try to build my body up. So I wasn't that big at that time to be a linebacker. And, uh, I, I got enough money to, I found it the cheapest place in Texas that I could afford school that had a football team and it was Ranger, Texas. And I'd never been that I'd never been West of Fort Worth literally in my in my life. And, uh, I loaded my stuff up in a banana box. I didn't have a suitcase and have a travel bag. I put two pairs of Levi button ups. I had a pair of Chuck Taylor high tops. I had four fruit of the loom, those colored t-shirts with a pocket in them an alarm clock and that was about it and i put it in a banana box with a few bars of dial soap and uh took the bus to the ranger and uh i paid cash for the first semester uh with 20 dollar bills that i make made working at the packing house and then the rest of my career i never had to pay a dime i got put on full scholarship after that after that spring semester and you know god was good to me and i was able to able to, to have a scholarship for the rest of my for the rest of my career so how did how did ranger come on your radar because you know like thinking back to that time so many of our kids these days when they're looking at schools you know they use the internet and stuff i mean how did you find out about things like that you know at that time well i had uh, some friends of mine that had gone out there they had a they have a had a tryout uh in the spring yeah, it was kind of weird you could go and you had to get some pads and headgear from your high school. They had to let you borrow them. And then you'd go out there and you'd, they had a tryout. There'd be like two or 300 kids out there trying out for probably two or three scholarships. And uh, I didn't get to go to that, but my brother and uh, my best friend was a year older than me. He, he had gone out there the year before and uh, I just knew about it. And uh, when I started researching, uh oh they had your counselors back in those days had directories with the the, the schools left brochure uh, the campus catalogs and stuff there and i went up there and i looked at it and it basically told the how much the hours cost and the dorms cost and it was by far the cheapest uh in texas and uh that was the one i that was that was what determined for me to go was the fact that it was the least expensive at that time, that was a factor for me. So that that's pretty much how I made the decision. Yeah. And uh, it was some outstanding football. That junior college league was unbelievable. We, I played against Horace Ivory, who was a All American at o OU. He was at Navarro as a running back. I played against Ike Forte, who was an All American at Arkansas, and he played for the New England Patriots. Uh, just a lot of great football players came out of that JUCO league, and. Uh, it was it was some really really tough physical football. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay, so uh, any particular highlights from your playing time you want to mention, or do you want to go on to uh, beginning your education career and how that all came about? Well, I mean, uh, I think I think it's important that uh, for my story for people to understand that I walked on there at Ranger and then I, I was I was a team captain both years. I was. Uh, voted the defensive MVP both years. Uh, I had a really good career there at Ranger. I had a great coach, Carlos Maynard, 
was my head coach and also my position coach. Carlos spent 17 years with Spike Dykes on his staff. He coached for Jimmy Johnson when Jimmy won the national championship at Miami. And Carlos went on and coached for the Jacksonville Jaguars as an assistant. He coached with David Wanstad uh, with uh, the Bears. He coached at New Orleans Saints. So it's kind of kind of unique that a guy from that small of a school ended up doing that well. And he was my position coach, so I had a positive influence on me. And Carlos is still alive. I think he lives in Lubbock, but uh, great guy. And then I played at Hired Payne. Uh, well, I actually left there, and I went to UTEP. And uh, I left there after the semester. I didn't like it. I really – it wasn't my cup of tea. I was starting after spring training, but I just didn't want any part of El Paso. Uh, <laughs> it just didn't turn out to be what the recruiting trip it was kind of neat for me when I went out there, but it just ended up not, you know, it just wasn't a fit for me, I guess. And I came back and I was pouring concrete, got married and living in DeSoto where I graduated from. And, and one of my coaches, uh, well, Carlos Maynard at Ranger ran into Dean Slayton, who was a longtime coach for Spike Docks as well at Tech. He was the head coach at Higher Payne and they had a conversation. He was asking if he knew where any good players were that, he said, yeah, you could find there's a pretty good linebacker left UTEP. He said, he's, I think he's back home. And and Dean had knew, knew of me. We had scrimmaged them when I was at Ranger, and he was at Hard Pain. And he called me, and they, I went into – my wife and I just got married. We we went to Brownwood, and I finished my career at Brownwood and the Lone Star Conference and uh, had a pretty good career there, signed with a – Free eight two, you had a two year free agent contract with the Oilers. That was when Bum Phillips was there. Went through mini camp. Uh, it was real positive. Uh, a guy, uh, Steve Kiner, who was the starter, one of the starter linebackers, and my coach told me I can't tell you anything. John Paul Young was the coach then, and he's a real famous coach here in Texas, legendary coach actually. Anyway, he was a linebacker coach on that staff with Bum Phillips and. I can't tell you per se, but he said, look at the Houston Post in the morning and think you're going to like what you see. And sure enough, Steve Conner had chosen after 14 years with the Cowboys and the Saints and the Oilers, he decided to retire. So it kind of opened that, opened that spot up. And uh, I was starting in training camp uh, and I tore my knee up. I had my, my third severe knee injury and I was pretty much done after that. And, uh, the contract, NFL contracts at that time, uh, if you got hurt while you were in action, you were supposed to get all your first year and half of the second year. That's that's what was written in the contract. Of course, if you'll recall, if you study NFL, and this was in the late 70s, and 85 was a strike season where they had the scab players. And that was really what they were striking over. Bud Adams was the owner of the Oilers at that time, and uh, – he was a he was a hard man to deal with, and he had a guy named Lad Herzig was their general manager, and then Bum was their head coach and assistant general manager. Well, me and we couldn't come to terms with uh, Lad Herzig on the money, and uh, Bum finally calmed me down, and we were at training camp at San Angelo, and he said, he said, you know, so let's just have us a talk, and Bum was a good guy, and. He said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I hadn't really thought about it. I said, I thought I'd be playing in the NFL football for, you know, for another 10 or 12 years. And he said, well, you know, it's not going to be in the cards for you. 
and your knee is never you're never going to be able to play on that knee again. So he talked to me about his high school coach and how he started coaching high school football at, at Nederland, Texas, and how much fun he had and everything. And I needed six hours to get my education degree finished. I had graduated, but I had I didn't finish my education courses because I went off to training camp. And uh, anyway, I ended up uh, leaving training camp on crutches and. I got my first coaching job at Ranger Junior College. Two of the guys that I coached, played for, were still there. And uh, they offered me a job there as, as a linebacker coach working with special teams. And that's kind of how I started the career. Uh, probably the first two to three years I coached, to be honest with you, Eric, I, I was still playing in my mind. I was I was very bitter and very angry mm-hmm. because I, I really still wanted to play. I had that play player mentality. And it took me two or three years to really start to be a seasoned coach because, like I said, I really wanted to be playing and it just wasn't in the cards for me at that time. And and uh, But I was around some really, really good coaches and uh, especially early in my career, I played for some good guys and I coached with some good guys and I got a really good foundation. And uh, Bum Phillips was right. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed my high school football and uh, coaching and it was it was a blast what uh what kind of maybe suggestions do you have for uh other young individuals during this you know current time period you know that maybe helped you get over that and move past that did um did you do anything besides just getting back into the sport through the world of coaching um to help you get past that or well you know what eric the thing is that i i would I, I think a lot of kids uh have a tough time transitioning from player to coach. And uh, I I have to say I was an overachiever. I don't think I was the most talented player that ever played the position of linebacker or anything like that. But, but I, I always brought my A game to practice. I was always afraid to miss a practice. I was afraid somebody was going to take my position. You know, I, I never, I never shortcutted anything and I worked extremely hard. And I think a lot of guys that have that mentality, especially, and even the guys that are really, I guess you would call uh, premier players out of high school, mm-hmm. they have that tough transition mentally because they uh, they think everybody's like them, and they're not. When you get into high school football, you really have to, to make a mental adjustment because uh, a lot of times – they don't have the desire, they don't have the drive, or they're not driven like you are, but yet they're still part of your team, and you have to find that button that you can mash or the connection that you can get with a kid. And that's a difficult transition uh, from going from player to coach. Is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, most, most guys that get into coaching were probably pretty good players for the most part, either, either at least in high school or college. And uh, – that's a tough transition for guys. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so how long do you spend coaching there at, uh, at Ranger? Well, we coached there two seasons and I was very blessed. We had a uh, first year I coached, uh, we kind of set the bar kind of high. We were 11 and 0 when we were the national champions. There was three Juco wires at that time, uh, polls, and we were number one in all three polls. From the beginning of the season to the end, we never we never lost our position, and we played in a rodeo bowl uh, for the national championship game against Coffeyville Junior College, and we 
and we beat them there and finished the season undefeated. So, you know, we got a national championship ring, uh, which I, I gave my oldest daughter last Christmas in a trophy case uh, as a memento. And, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. Uh, and then the second year we were number three in the nation and we played in a bowl game as well. Uh, and then I left there and went to Bernie from there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we're on 1980. Well, I coached in, I coached in 79 and 80 at Ranger. Right. Okay. In the spring, in the spring of 81, I left Ranger in December of 80 after the, after the, the, the second year season I had, uh, we had our first child there at Ranger. Uh, she was six months old. Uh, I, I guess I enjoyed Ranger. I don't think my wife, who was a Bernie graduate, uh-huh. uh, she was particularly fond of living that far away from her family and living out in the country. And, and Ranger's a tough area to live as far as there's not a lot to do, you know, and things of that nature. And she she wanted to get back closer to home. So we went back to Bernie and, I started doing some sales work for a couple of companies waiting for a, a job to open up. Of course it was in the mid middle of the year. And fortunately the, a, a position came open at Bernie and I went up and applied and uh, Larry Peel was the athletic director and head coach there. Then I think Larry had been there maybe one or two seasons and uh, he hired me. And uh, that was really the start of my high school coaching. And Larry was a, a great guy to work for and he influenced me a lot. Uh, I learned a lot from Larry and I learned, ended up being Bernie was probably uh, one of the nicest and neatest places that I've ever worked at through my whole uh, career as a coach. I love Bernie very much. And two of my children, my other two children were born while I was coaching on that staff. And one of them was born. uh, Actually we played Luling who was ranked the number one team in the state that year. We played them, I think, the third ball game of the year, and we traveled to to Luling on their homecoming. My daughter was born, Tori, who ended up she's in the Bernie Hall of Fame there uh-huh. as a basketball player. And anyway, she she was born on September twenty first. We played Luling. I think it's kind of unique. And I was there that morning, and I got got there in time to catch the bus. And we shut Luling out, beat them, I think, fourteen to nothing, and. uh they were ranked, like I said, they were ranked the number one team in the state, and that was a really a big win for Bernie at, the, at that time. That's when we kind of started turning the program around. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. And so uh, there at Bernie, um, was that in 82 when that happened, the Luling? That was that would have been the 82 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really I – had a, I had a really great group of defensive kids, and I coached the defensive side of the ball exclusively I, co- I coached the JV defense I coached the varsity defense and I was a defensive coordinator on the 82 and 83 teams and uh we played Van Vleck the 82 season and lost and then we played Sweeney in the 83 season in the playoffs after we were undefeated and we lost and uh but anyway uh were were you the defensive coordinator there from the moment you were hired no uh, the first year I was there, we were in the we were four A, and we were one of the smallest. I think the second or third smallest four A uh, program in the state at that time, and uh, 
we were in there with Quero and and uh, New Braunfels Unicorns, who was a powerhouse at that time, Kerrville Tivy. Uh, so we were a small school and a big, we were small fish in a big pond at that time. And I think we went four and six or five and five that year. But we had a JV district championship team. We had a really good group of kids coming up. And then we dropped down to 3A. And then we became a big fish in the smaller pond. And, and Bernie started having some success. We had some really two really good teams that year. And Sweeney ended up losing to the 83 Dangerfield team that was, in my opinion, the best high school football team that I've ever seen. Uh, certainly statistically they were. Uh, and uh, they they lost a team that beat us, Sweeney. They they lost to Dangerfield in the state finals. Mm. So uh, I guess is it year two where you take over the defense? The year two, I took over the defense. I was a linebacker coach the first year, and the last two years I was a defensive coordinator. That's correct. Okay, and so for our listeners. Um, in, in 33 games there, in three years as the defensive coordinator, the teams that you guys played against averaged nine and a half points against y'all. I didn't know that. I didn't know exactly. <laughs> I, I, do, I do know this. Uh, we kept, you know, like most defense coordinators, you have a chart, you have goals that you want to accomplish as a defense. And I, I remember this, the last year, 83, the district championship team we had, we gave up a total of 370 yards rushing in 10 ball games, so that's a 37-yard average per game, and that's 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 unheard of when you stop to think that back in those days it wasn't spread offenses; it was it was three yards in the cloud of dust, and everybody tried to cram it down your throat. So they ran the ball probably 80, 90 percent of the time. Most teams did, and we we held them to 370 yards for a season, and I I just I've just never really heard of anybody doing that. Uh, I had some great, great kids on that team. Billy, Billy Canavan uh, uh, was a linebacker on that team. Uh, Bo Savage, who's coaching up at Wichita Falls, was a linebacker on that team. Brad Cunningham uh, was an outstanding uh, outside linebacker on that team. Uh, Tracy Littlejohn, uh, we had uh, – Oh, I, I, I could go through the whole bunch, but that was just a special group of kids and uh, very hard workers. And, uh, yeah, we were pretty dominant defensively. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty clear. I got those numbers, of course, from uh, TexasHighSchoolFootballHistory.com. You know, uh, 82 to 84, y'all allowed 316 points. And so I just divide that number by the 33 games y'all played. That's how I got the nine and a half points a game. So, just for our listeners that wonder, you know, where I come up with something uh, like that, just to clarify. So um, if there are any inaccuracies, then, you know, we both apologize. But we're doing the best we can to dig back, you know, 30, 40 years sometimes on here. So, Well, you got to realize I'm a linebacker, and uh, I've had a lot of concussions, and I've slept many a night, <laughs> uh, many a night since those, those days. So yeah. if my numbers are off or I, I miss – say somebody's first name or last name i apologize to you i i remember i remember the faces i can remember a lot of the numbers i can i remember brad cunningham was 33 and and billy cameron was 20 and you know i can remember it's it's amazing when my kids on facebook have birthdays uh yeah, i've coached 30 40 years ago also happy birthday number 21 or 33 they can't believe i still actually can remember their their numbers 
that's just through hours and hours of watching video. And back then it was 16 millimeter film, but I actually can still remember a lot of the numbers of the kids that I coached. Coach, anything else you'd like to share about Bernie? Well, one of the guys that was that everybody knows if you've been around Bernie, because one of the high schools there is named Sam Champion High School for a good reason. Sam was a was a phenomenal impact on the kids of, of Bernie, and Sammy uh, was actually a junior high coach on that staff that I worked with. He was one of our junior high coaches, mm-hmm. and of course, he spent his whole entire career, I think, pretty much there at Bernie. And then we had a guy named John Moldenhire was assistant coach on that staff. And, you know, John, of course, had that's two boys that graduated. They were uh, babies. The oldest one was a, was a baby on when I was coaching on that staff. And, and then his son ended up being a, an All-American baseball player at UT. Right. And, and John retired there. So Larry Kinsing was – his son ended up playing Major League Baseball, uh, Bernie graduate. Uh, he was on that staff. Uh, like I said, Larry Peel was the head coach. I worked with some really, really good guys and uh, some good principals and some phenomenal teachers. Bernie was just a very good, very good place to work. It just didn't pay a lot of money, but that's why I ended up leaving. I almost doubled my salary when I left. And sometimes I regret it, but, you know, at that time, I, it was a thing I needed to do for myself, for my family. So, right. How did the Westwood job come about? Well, I left and I went to work for a guy named Rodney Hess who had just won the state championship at Eastland. And he had taken the job at Montgomery and he knew of me and I knew him uh, through other people when I was at Ranger as a player. And that was 10 miles from Eastland. And I saw the job at the job board and I ended up going with him at Montgomery and I was his defensive coordinator. And I was only at Montgomery from August or really late July until January. And then the job came open at Palestine Westwood. And it was a rebuilding job. I think they'd won 11 ball games in six previous years. Uh, and I think they won six of those 11 in one season. Yeah, with a guy named Link Fuller was coaching there. Mm-hmm. Funny thing, Link's wife ended up being a basketball coach at Bernie coaching my daughter it was a small uh, small road for that to end up being that way but anyway I was actually I interviewed for that job and it's kind of funny uh, Eric I was the fourth choice for that job uh, two guys turned it down and and then the third guy took it and he went in for I think they said he stayed three or four days and then he went in and resigned and then they called me back for a, another interview process against an assistant coach. It was at Crockett. I can't remember his name, but we went over and we interviewed again. And uh, they offered me the job in January of, uh, of 85. And 85 was my first season. And I, I do distinctly remember in the Harris poll that year, the first poll that came out, there was like, I think uh, – we were three schools in the state of Texas rated below us in the whole entire state. And we ended up going five and five and we lost the district champion. We were ahead two to nothing in the fourth quarter against Crockett. And uh, we played them for homecoming. And I, I remember that game. We had a two to nothing lead. We got a safety on them and we fumbled the ball trying to drive the drive, kill the clock. And they, they ended up scoring 
and beat us eight to two. They went for two points and made that. They beat us eight to two. And I remember five and five, you would have thought we won the state championship at Westwood. I've never seen the people were just, they couldn't believe it because that, that had so many losing seasons. Right. Stayed there five, stayed there five years and, and had some, just coached some unbelievable kids again, lifetime. You know, I'll, there's a lot of Bernie kids. And then my job at, at Palestine, I have a lot of lifetime friends there. People went on and have done well in coaching and in life. And, and uh, I was the first coach in the history of Westwood, 36 years at that time, history of that school that made it to a playoff game. Right. That's what and I'm so, go ahead. 1989 is the first time that Westwood ever goes to the playoffs. And so, for our listeners that don't know that. Yeah, uh, Palestine was – Westwood was the, was the stepchild, uh, so to speak, at that time. They – the – I think the pattern had been that Westwood would get some pretty good kids. And we had two separate school districts in a town that small, which is very unique. Uh, there was Palestine ISD and then there was Westwood ISD, which was in Palestine. And, uh, but Palestine was, had been the dominant school. They'd won the state championship before they had a quarterback by the name of super bill Bradley that played at UT. That was a phenom played about 12 or 13 years for the, Philadelphia Eagles, the old guys remember him. He was a quarterback at Palestine and went on to Texas. But anyway, anytime, historically, anytime anybody at Westwood was a pretty good player, they would get heavily recruited by, by Palestine High School. And uh, that was the first thing that I did when I went in there was uh, I pretty much told the guys that, that was over with, that we were, we were there, we were, we were going to be uh, – a powerhouse. We were going to build a playoff program. And of course I got laughed at by a lot of people, but uh, there was some conflicts. Uh, i tell you a funny story. There was a first year I went there, there was the head coach over at Palestine high school was a guy by the name of Larry Frost. And Larry had been a ball player. He'd come from Nebraska with a good football background. And he was over there. And uh, the first year I was there the first week, uh, two or three of the kids were, were, were moving over to, to Palestine. And I found out about it inadvertently that they had taken the, the uh, PAPFs, the previous athletic participation forms to the principal to sign. And I, I got wind that it was going on and either the principal or the athletic director had to sign it. And, uh, you know, I'd already told the kids I would, I wouldn't release kids to go over to Palestine for athletic purposes. That's against UIL rules. And I went down there and, Larry was in the office getting the paper signed, and of course, Larry and I had had a conversation. It wasn't real; <laughs> it wasn't a good one. But uh, that was the last kids I ever lost. I lost those two kids, and that was the last for the five years I was there. That was the last kid I ever lost to to, uh, to Palestine High School. And actually, uh, the last two years I was there, they probably couldn't. They were four A. We were three A. Uh, I I tried to get a ball game with those guys every year I was there. And uh, Luke Thornton was their superintendent there, and he was the state championship coach of that team. He said, as long as I'm at Palestine High School, we'll never play Westwood. And uh, I understand why a coach wouldn't want to play down. I wanted to play him for a lot of reasons. Financially, it would have been a big game for us. But yeah. there, was a lot of, there was a lot of tension between Palestine and Westwood. And uh, anyway, Larry Frost, just to, just to let you know, he ended up having a – he had a son that was a small child at that time. 
with a guy named Scott Frost, who you may have heard of, who's now the Nebraska head coach and had had a great season down at Florida before he went to Nebraska. Anyway, that was his dad. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how things connect. But uh, anyway, Palestine was a, a, was a really, really good experience for me, some really good football. As a young head coach, do you remember any particular struggles that you can offer any advice for anyone else? Maybe that's listening to this that's a young head coach that, you know, maybe you can give them a little bit of advice or uh, assurance. Well, you know what? I, my experience is, and I know the game has changed and a, a great deal and stuff, but you have to understand that if you take a program, most of the time your head coaching, your first head coaching job, a lot of times is, is rebuilding programs. And if you do a good job there, a lot of times you get labeled as that you're a rebuilder. And that, that was something that was good and bad. But it seemed like every time a job would come open that was was really down, those were the jobs that people were attracted to me at because I had, I had been able to turn some losing programs around. And you kind of get labeled that way. And, you know, it's uh, when you go in somewhere, sometimes you, you have to understand that, Things don't happen overnight, and uh, some some communities give people an opportunity to build a program, and some want, want uh, instant success. You know, we get fast food and fast everything and microwave, and everybody's used to getting something immediately. And sometimes they just don't give you time to build a program. Yeah, and you you have to be a little bit lucky, and you have to be pretty good uh, to, to 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 be able to do that. And uh, but I would just tell the young coaches that, you know, be careful when you go into a place because uh, a lot of there's been a lot of good coaches that have been buried uh, at places that never got a second chance to be a head coach because they went in a, a situation that was was very very difficult. So sometimes it's almost worth putting in your dues as an assistant and just working your way through the program. It may take some time to get that opportunity, but. Sometimes those rebuilding jobs can, can be graveyards for you. Mm, yeah. Gotcha. That's, that's good advice. You know, be careful what you wish for sometimes, huh? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, exactly. They're, they're at Westwood looking at uh, 1989. You know, you guys had the, the eight and two season. You go to the playoffs and everything. Um, looking at Lone Star Football Network here, uh, I see a game against Grosbeck uh, where you guys beat them 31-30. to 30. And I don't know if that's an accurate score or not, but is there any other game that maybe, you know, there's a 0-0 zero to zero here against Madisonville, and that might not have been the real score. But is there any game in particular you'd want to talk about, you know, from your time? Well, we'll talk about both those games. Okay. The, Gros- the Grosbeck game was the ninth game of the year, and uh, – we played them. We played them there at Westwood, and they scored and went went ahead uh, with 58 seconds on the clock. And we were a, we were a primarily a running team. I was I was pretty much ground Chuck Talbert. We we were three yards in a cloud of dust, and I pretty much stayed that way through my whole career. I wasn't big on the passing game. I was more from the Darrell Oil scheme. There's only three things can happen when you pass the ball, and two of them are bad. <laughs> so uh, I, I got to wear that proudly. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of the rushing things later on when we get to comfort. But at Westwood, we we were pretty much ground chuck too. But we had a kid that was a, the principal's son named uh, Jeremy Cherry. He had a really a really bad hand. He had his thumb dislocated on his throwing hand about 
probably about three times a game, I'd have to put it back into place. He'd come to the sideline, it'd be pointing the other direction, and I'd literally pull on it and put it back in place. Yeah. And they scored with 58 seconds on the clock, and we had no timeouts left. And they kicked off to us, and we were we got tackled on the 18-yard line. So we were 82 yards away with 58 seconds. We went down and scored with eight seconds on the clock, and we were down by – uh, we were down by one point. We could have kicked it and tied it, and then it would have gone on penetrations. And that was back when there was no sudden – there was no playoff, uh, you know, post-game playoff. It was uh, it was done on penetrations and first downs. And uh, I remember we were we were down on – we were down on penetrations about one. So we went for two, and we got it, and we ended up beating them, you know, 31 to 30. And then the next week, we all we had to do was either win or tie to make the playoffs. And we were in Madisonville, and uh, it was raining. And it was the ball was extremely slippery. We were driving the ball down. It was zero to zero. We were ahead on penetrations. We were ahead on first down. So basically, you look at the game back in those days. Different to me as a coach, that's a win because all I had to do to the win was to tie. I didn't have to. I didn't have to score a touchdown. I never will forget this because we had good radio coverage at that time. We had radio – our games were radioed and everything, and I listened to the playback the next morning. But we got down to the three-yard line. They had a first and goal from the three. And they had run out of timeouts. So they, they could not stop the clock. Well, I took, I took the knee – took three straight knees to end the game and run the clock out. And people in our stands were booing. They were booing. They were booing me because we weren't attempting to score, mm-hmm. and that would, like I said, that was the first time in the history, thirty-six years of Westwood, to go to the playoffs. I was pretty secure in that, and we we had had some fumbles. They had had some fumbles. It was raining. It was wet. It was damp. Everybody's jersey was wet. You know, as you know in football, many things can happen, and I just had my quarterback take a knee and back out and I never will forget that I listened to the radio later on on the playback the next morning and you could hear people just booing because we weren't attempting to score and possibly we could have but then again we possibly could have fumbled and they they picked it up and ran it for a touchdown or there's a lot of things that could happen as you know Mm. so I was I was happy with the tie and as a defensive coach anyway a defensive minded coach anyway zero zero wasn't a bad score (laughs) yeah right yeah, that's that's one of those things too. I mean, exactly what you said there about they've never been to the playoffs, and um, you know, as a head coach, you haven't been to the playoffs yet either. But if you look at, I, I'll just you know give a spoiler to some of the people listening that you're going to end up going to the playoffs a lot more in the places where you're headed than than what Westwood has since. So sometimes the people in the stands. You know, it might be better to just be quiet and trust the guy with the headset on that that's being paid to make that decision, huh? Well, you know, I understand. A lot of people really didn't understand. But a lot of people probably didn't understand the penetrations, uh, the first down issue, you know, that, that Texas UIL used at that time. I was aware of that. Uh, they'd call a timeout with less than two minutes to go in the game. And they gave they they call both coaches out to the middle of the field. And they give you the statistics so you know where you're at. And like I said, at that time, a tie was just as good as a win. There's a couple of guys that I really want to recognize at Westwood while I was there. Mm-hmm. 
I talked about Jeremy Cherry. He was a quarterback there for me that year on that playoff team. And he ended up coaching a lot of years. And uh, his dad was a principal there, Jack Cherry, uh, who was on the state championship team with Bill Bradley at Palestine. But there were some really, really great kids. And But I had a, I had a young man named Hunky Cooper who ended up being an All-American at Navarro Junior College. Then he went to UNLV, and he was a special teams All-American there. Uh, he played uh, – He's. I think they still consider him, if not the best, the greatest arena arena league player of all time. He played for Danny White, for the Arizona Rattlers, and uh, but he's he this past year he's coaching with Rocky Long at San Diego State. A phenomenal guy that people's lives that he touched, and uh, he gives me a lot of credit, more credit than I deserve, uh, for impacting his life. He had lost his dad. He's uh, the year before, about three months before I took that job, and I didn't really even know that at the time. And uh, he was he was angry and mad, and, you know, like a lot of kids would be. And mm-hmm. we kind of got him in line. He ended up being a phenomenal player. But he he just got the stadium. He coached uh, after he graduated. He 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 married a gal in Vegas, and uh, that ran MGM Studios. But they just named the stadium. It's a big six A school out there in Vegas, and they just named a high school stadium after him, which, you know, when your kids that you coached get those kind of recognition, it, it, it makes you really feel good that you had a, at least a small part in it in some way. And uh, I'm just so proud of Hunky and, and a lot of those guys, but I'm really, really proud of Hunky and what he's accomplished with his life and the people that he's impacted. He's, he's a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal man. And, and uh, has done some ph- phenomenal things, and he's an outstanding coach at San Diego State as well. So I just want to give a shout out to. Yes, sir. Outstanding. Um, so as you wrap up your time there with uh, with Westwood, and you know, how does the Tulosa Midway job come about? Well, you know, at that time, uh, my wife had just uh, I'd been teaching and coaching about ten or eleven years before she got her degree, and I had three small kids, uh, two fixing to get into school, and one was already in school, and uh, it just felt like it was time to move on for me, mm-hmm. and I had a, I went to work for Tulsa Midway, and at that time, it was the richest uh, school district in the state of Texas, ADA, and I'd been at schools where we'd had to struggle with budgets and struggle with Sorry, folks, we took a quick break there just so you could go and rate this podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts. And uh, we're coming back right now where Coach Paul Talbert is talking about the financial advantages of his move to Toloso Midway in 1990. Well, it's just that the school districts that I'd worked for, mm-hmm. including Ranger Junior College, we were, the, we were the bottom feeder financially in that conference. And then Bernie just, you know, they – uh, wasn't a lot of one of the lowest paying school districts uh, around. And then uh, Westwood was my first head job. So, you know, you always take a lot less than probably what you should have been asking for. And I'd had some success there. And TM was trying to turn the program around that they were very unsuccessful. And it, it was a school with a lot of money, but a low enrollment for the classification they were in, but they made me a sweet deal. I interviewed for them, went down there and, and I, they made me a sweet deal financially. 
and I almost doubled my salary, uh, which was significant uh, at that time for for where I was at as a as a husband and family provider. So uh, I knew it was going to be an uphill battle uh, in the district we were in with the enrollment we had and and the teams we were were playing, but. Financially, I had to I had to make that decision, and it, it ended up I think being a good one for me. Well, and and our off the record chat earlier, you know, we were just kind of warming up for all this. You know, you mentioned you're taking a job in a district with Cal Allen and Gregory Portland, and you've got Phil Danaher and Bruce Bush that are uh, now. We look at this point in history. Um, one of them's the number one winningest coach of all time, and the other one is the uh, is number twenty two on the list. So. This this is definitely going to be an uphill battle, is it not? Well, no doubt about it. They had established programs. Uh, they had they had really really good kids. They had more kids, and uh, we were we were one of the smallest. Actually, we had a we had they, uh, our superintendent there was a name named Dr. Sue Nelson, and she was very innovative and she was very. Uh, pro kid and there was a lot of programs that she started we started a lot of pilot programs we were the first school district in the state of texas to do year-round school uh it's good for the kids it's good for the teachers but it's really not good for your program it's not good for your coaches it's pretty difficult as a football coach uh to coach in year-round school and i could go into depth but it's just not being in school and 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 Kids not being in a routine. Uh, every six weeks we had, uh, I forgot what, intercession, I think is what they call it. And the kids would be, parents would take vacations, of course, and do things. And so kids would work. Yeah, it was, it was, it was not, it was a great deal for the basic teacher. It's probably good for the basic student. Uh, I'm not against the year round school, but when we were the ones doing it, and it, I just really didn't think it was advantageous for. For football, so you're in the middle of football season, and there's a week off in school. It's called intercession. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Just want to make and I, you got to know I'm old school. I'm a routine guy. I'm the guy that wears the same pair of socks because I'm superstitious and I do things in a routine and I try to keep my kids on a routine and coaches and yeah, it was it was a difficulty. I, I'm not going to use that as an excuse. The reason we didn't beat Cal Allen or Gregory Portland, they they had some some really really good teams. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it was a hurdle. Right. Uh, I think as a coach and a staff, it was a hurdle to, to overcome. Uh, and maybe somebody else could have managed it better than I did. But I'd grown up in a different type and and coached in a different environment, so it it it, it created some difficulties for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's something I've never heard of. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've been in quite a few places and seen a lot of different methods and styles, but that's that's not what I've seen. I can imagine that would be disruptive to the flow of what you're doing, especially, you know, because even, even doing a spring sport like track and, and people have spring break, you know, customarily in, in you know, in every school district. And that is uh, often a disruption for track, baseball, softball, soccer, you know, any of those things that are going on. And, and you hear coaches complain about that all the time. Uh, well, these kids, you know, this family's taking a trip here or there and, you know, it disrupts the flow of practice and what you're working towards. And, um, you know, but, but to have one in, in football season, just right there at what is the beginning of the year for everybody else, nobody else is, is having a disruption like that. 
Yeah, like I said, it's it's very unique. It's a unique situation. But I, I will say this: I don't want I, Dr. Nelson is probably uh, one of the greatest superintendents that I ever worked for, and she gave me uh, everything that I asked for uh, to be successful. She was very pro kids. She was very pro athletics, and uh, she was pretty football minded. She had a pretty. She was pretty savvy on football as well. And uh, so, you know, again, that's not an excuse. That's just a fact. That's just something that, something that I that I'd had to deal with. But like I said, uh, I think we finished third uh, three of the five years there. And now that would be playoff teams. Right. Uh, and we probably, the way the brackets are set up, you know, you don't meet the team in your district till sometimes two or three, four rounds down the deal. And I think, we could have beaten most teams. Uh, our, their two best teams for sure could have played for, for quite a while. And uh, because Cal Allen uh, went to the semifinals, they, they, they got beat by a good uh, – oh, what were those teams? Lamarck. Lamarck, you know, the teams that won state – Lamarck either won state or they lost to Stephenville those years. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones that knocked Cal Allen out. And then one year, uh, the Gregory Porton was number two in the state. They got beat by uh, uh, Bryan College Station, or, or what's the other school in, in, at, uh, there in the College Station? A&M Consolidated? Uh, yeah, they got beat by A&M Consolidated in Astrodome uh, in the last play of the game, I think. And they, they actually won state that year uh, with Stump, Craig Stump was their quarterback. So, I mean, you know – uh, really, really good football. I, I tell you what, the Coastal Bend area, a lot of people don't realize it unless you're down in that area. There's some outstanding coaches. And I'm not sure that the coaches don't get more out of those kids down in the valley and down in Coastal Bend area is any area of Texas. They, they, they do a great job of coaching down there in the Coastal Bend. Phil Danaher is an outstanding coach. Bruce Bush is an outstanding coach. I regret to say that I never was able to beat either one of them, and uh, it's still a it's still for me to swallow because it's a competitive. I love beating those guys, but uh, just never could pull it off. Uh, you played some really close games with Cal Allen um, and Gregory Portland during that time, and, and there's what I'm going to bring up from 1994 here in just a minute. But Tulsa Midway's playoff uh, history in general, they've been to the playoffs three times, and they've never won a playoff game. So this is not um, this is not a job in, in a lot of cases, I guess you would say, where uh, football coaches maybe would would just line up unless maybe you're looking for that opportunity, right? And this is a big school opportunity for you. Well, you know, I hate to say it, but at that time, the financial deal was probably bigger for yeah. me than than the opportunity. I I knew, I, you know, I probably uh, maybe my ego overloaded myself you know I, I i felt like i'd done it at, at westwood and i felt like it was a long shot but i felt like it was a possibility because you always i'd already overcome a lot of you know things in my career at that point and maybe i i think in my mind i i really felt like we would do it and we came very close several times but we just didn't we just didn't quite get there and uh uh, like I said, the Cal Allen, there was a game that uh, I don't remember. You, it might have been 94. I know 
it was toward the end of my career there. We were we were actually up. I think they were number two or three team in the state, and they were undefeated. And we played them at their place, and we were up at halftime, twenty-one to seven, I believe, or by a couple of touchdowns. And uh, we came out in the second half, and we fumbled the opening kickoff, and then they scored. And then the next two kickoffs after they scored, we uh, they kicked off to us. We fumbled, we fumbled three kickoff returns in a yeah. row, which has never ever happened in my career at any at any level as a player or a coach. And we did it to open up the second half, and they ended up beating us in a really tight ball game on a very questionable uh, touchdown reception in the end zone that later on the news showed that the ball bounced, and they. <laughs> So uh, that's the way I remember it, anyway. But uh, they uh, they had a really good program, good team. They build and probably produce three or four on the average D one players every year. And uh, so you know they were they were they were good, well coached, uh, and a, and a lot of tradition. Yeah the uh, the game there in in '94, uh, your your last season there at Teloso Midway against Gregory Portland. I mean, you guys lose 14 to 13, uh, another very close one. And, and I throw some of this out because it, you know, like at Westwood as well, if you look at prior to you getting there, I, I mean, sure. You're not winning some of these games and you don't get over the hump with Cal Allen or Gregory Portland, but there's no doubt about it. You're in these games and you're someone that every week, if they're not prepared for, it could be massive problems for them. Well, Eric, you're the kind of guy I like to talk to. You're good for my <laughs> ego, but you really are because you do your homework. And, uh, you know, if you say things that it sounds like you're bragging, but I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, my coaching staff, the guys that work with me, and the kids that always play for me, we were able to get a lot out of our kids. And our kids were always well coached. They were always prepared. And I say that not to pat myself on the back, but my, my assistant coaches – I was always blessed with really hardworking guys, and we connected with our kids. Our kids always felt like they had a chance to win, maybe when sometimes they really didn't on paper, but they played so hard. And and I can't say enough about how hard our kids played and how hard my coaches worked. And uh, I was not an easy guy to work for. I was very demanding, very challenging. my players would probably say the same thing. Uh, I was very demanding as a coach to them. And I never I never took the field, no matter the odds or the spread, that uh, we didn't uh, feel like we had a chance. And I think one of the things that I'm the proudest of is uh, towards the end of my career, if you're a football coach, everybody knows about the Harris Harris rating system. I mean, that's that's kind of the Bible of a lot of people predict scores, but I, I think Harris traditionally had always been the best and the closest. They have a point spread and everything. And the coach or, or the guy that Harris, actually the guy that, that runs the Harris, he told me, he said that I had beat the spread in my coaching career. Now, I don't know. He may be one of those stat guys, but he said that I had beaten the spread on the Harris Poe more than any coach that he, he had ever looked at. He said, I, I, I had done that. So I guess that kind of backs up the fact that our kids played really, really hard. And uh, we got a lot out of our kids. 
and uh, uh, and my coaches, like I said, were outstanding uh, assistant coaches. Had had a great bunch of guys wherever I was at. Yeah, definitely. Did did some of them come over with you from Westwood? The two guys that I had there is my, you know, back in those days, you didn't have as many coaches in 85. The two guys that worked with me on the varsity, uh, they both ended up having, you know, pretty good head coaching careers. Paul Esri just retired this past year at Athens. He had, coached, had been a head coach at several places. He was my defensive coordinator. And then Kevin Hayes uh, had a long head coaching career. So both those guys, uh, they hung around that area, and then they they eventually got head jobs. But no, they didn't. They did not go with me to Tulsa Midway. I took the head coach. At, it was at Grossbeck. A friend of mine. He was the head coach. He went with me as my OC at, to Corpus Christi, Cat Prince. And then I took Jim Farrell, who was my high school linebacker coach, uh, down to TM with me as my defensive coordinator. They really TM really Dr. Nelson and them. They really they really did everything they could to try to get that program turned around. And I think we really did turn it around, but, uh, you know, I guess that's a good reason why they have three or four teams in the playoffs. Now I don't particularly like it, but I think at that time I would have liked it because it would have given us an opportunity to play and probably win some playoff yeah. games because I think we were good enough to, to beat a lot of the teams in that region four for sure. Yeah. So 19, uh, 1995 comes along, and, and you're going to make a move to Wall. Unless you have anything else you'd like to add about Tulsa Midway, uh, you want to talk about how the Wall deal comes along? Yeah, I mean, no problem. Um, you know, at that time, my kids, uh, I had my oldest daughter was a freshman, and uh, my, my middle daughter was fixing to start junior high, and uh, – I was looking for a smaller uh, – I'd kind of done the big school. I was the AD. We had the, we had the best facilities at uh, TM of anybody in that area. So as athletic director, we were, we were hosting. We had, a, we had an indoor swimming pool, Olympic pool. We had either swim meets, powerlifting meets, baseball tournaments, track meets, basketball tournaments. We had – we had – just outstanding facilities, tennis. We had 20-something tennis courts uh, in our district. So as an athletic director, I spent a great deal of my time uh, doing AD stuff. And along with the time I spent with football, I really was never – I was really never at home. And uh, I kind of decided that I, I wanted to go back to a smaller school district and do that for my kids. And so that was really the motivating factor of leaving there. And, and I knew, I knew at that time it was still two teams. I knew it was going to be, uh, it comes to the realization that, that, uh, you know, being a playoff team there would be very difficult year in and year out. And I wanted to be a playoff, uh, a playoff caliber team every year. So right. That was kind of what led. That's, that's those were kind of the things that led to my decision to leave TM. Nothing else. I had. A, I just signed a three-year contract mm -hmm. when I took when I took the job, so it wasn't a deal where I was forced out. Uh, I just it was just a move that I wanted to make. If you find yourself enjoying the Taillights podcast, do me a big favor: go on to Apple Podcasts and rate it five stars. I really appreciate it.